0: Good morning, Journey Church. You guys look awesome. So much color, brightness out there, smiles. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us today and uh, and to share with us. And for those who are uh, online with us, we thank you for joining us as well. Uh, I appreciate Zach, uh, energetic young guy. He does a great job with our student ministry. Oh yeah, let's do a hand. Um, our student ministry, a uh, high, a middle school, or junior high middle school and high school meet Sunday afternoon 345 right and they have an awesome time they got a great summer plan so if you uh, are a teen or, and you have a child they, we'd love to have you uh, check them out if you would do that uh, well it's good to be back last week got a chance to go down and spend some time with our uh, youngest daughter and her husband and spend some time at the beach and you guys know I love the beach right but um any rate, I'm not a beach guy, for those that don't know. But it was good, a uh, good time to get away, but it it's great to be back here. You know, uh, May's a big month. Somebody called this Maycember, because uh, it's like Christmas. Uh, uh, everything going on, so hectic for everybody, and travels and vacations, schools out, graduations, everything else. Uh, but one thing that May always reminds me of, besides my wife's birthday, my son's birthday, uh, Mother's Day, and our anniversary, uh, is that I began ministry uh, 39 years ago this month. And so I, I will finish that up 39 years. That's a long time. Um, I've been in three churches, but I've never started a new church. I've never done that. I know that plant, church planning is a calling for sure. Uh, but I've been, I've felt I've been called to, uh, to go to existing churches and to work and serve them and build up. And that's kind of how God has used me. Uh, in the last 40 years or so. But one of the greatest experiences in my life was coming to Versailles. I have to tell you, uh, we were in Indiana. We came to Versailles to work with a church that began from a split and able to bring that church back together with the mother church and heal the resulting hurts from that and to, uh, to make us a healthy church, uh, which is where God has brought us today, which is a miracle. So it's a blessing to be involved in that. And I'll also tell you, though, when the planning of new churches is so important, And that we as a church have been able to help start two churches with ministers from our church, one in Indiana uh, and uh, one in North Carolina. And currently we work with a new church plant in Washington State. Somebody said about church planting that it's always easier to have a baby than it is to raise somebody from the dead. So I don't know about that, but I will say that church planting is a huge task and I'm really grateful for people who are called to do that. We need more churches in strategic areas. As churches die, which we know that they do uh, over time, there's a season for life and for death, for everything, and there has to be new churches planted. And so we're always uh, excited to be a part of that. And I'm grateful for those who, have, uh, who, who accept the call to do so. I'm also grateful for those who helped plant our church back in the 1960s, a long time ago, as church was planted here in Versailles including a couple of Joe Bob and Wilma Grider, and and, uh, Wilma still attends with us today. Anyway, last week, Dan began a new series on 1 Corinthians. He did a great job uh, about that, kind of kicking it off, but since we're going to be in this book for several weeks, I decided I want to go back and I want to give you some background information on the church there, and I talked about church planting because the, the church of Corinth was a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was a missionary, probably the greatest missionary of all time. He was also a church planner. He planted, someone said, at least 14 different churches in his ministry. And then he would circle back around periodically to visit with them. If you go to the back of your Bible, you probably found uh, find a map with Paul's missionary journeys in it, talking about how he traveled around from these churches from one to the other to encourage them. But he also wrote them letters over time. If he wasn't able to get there in person he would write them a letter. And so 1 Corinthians uh, 1 is one of the two letters that Paul wrote to the church there at Corinth, which was one of his church plants. Now Corinth was located in the country of Greece, which is still modern day Greece. It hasn't changed like some countries change their name. And although the city of Corinth is nothing but ruins now, there is no modern city of Corinth. um, In that day, it was a very powerful and important trade center. It was a harbor city. Actually, it had a port on either side of it. Uh, It was kind of on a small peninsula of land, and and there were ports on either side. And because of that, there was constant traffic coming in and out. There was a lot of people, a lot of trade, a lot of education, people seeking knowledge in that day. Uh, People would travel around to be educated and to hear what was going on in the world. And there was lots of sin there, too. There was a lot of sin in this city. They had massive amounts of substance abuse. There was a lot of alcohol uh, abuse. They even got drunk on communion. How bad can be that be? We're going to study about that as we get on into it a little bit then. They had massive sporting events. They had coliseums there. They had contests. It was a center for art. And it was also a place for sharing ideas in an open forum. So they would come together and just debate. The people would speak and they would have these conversations about that, and so they were always trying to learn new things there. There was also a lot of sexual perversion in the city, and so we're going to read about that and study about that a little bit. There was fornication and adultery and homosexuality, prostitution, transvestites, transgenderism. Well, that sounds like the day, doesn't it? What are, we, are we talking about Corinth? Or are we talking about modern-day America? That's what I think is so interesting about the Bible. It's so relevant But all in all, if you look at all of this, you're going to see that it was a prime place to start a new church, but also it was a very difficult field to work in with all the sin around them. You know, it's not like you go to a place, any city today even, and you say, wow, this is such a righteous and godly city. They don't need a church here. Uh, Nobody ever said that, right? They said, we need a church in every town because of the influence that, uh, that God can bring and the church can bring to a community. It was a hard place. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and, and about the call that we have from where we are, where we begin, to where God wants us to be in our relationship with Him. Now, to give a little background, though, about this church, I want, to talk, uh, I want to go to the book of Acts. And I think what's really interesting is to see how the Bible all works together, because we have the church in Corinth that we have two letters written to, and then we have in Acts, we have a story about how the church began. So I'm going to go back there a little bit and talk about that for some background. In Acts chapter 18, we read that Paul went to Corinth in one of his travels. He met a couple there named Aquila and Priscilla who were Christians. They were believers as well. And they were tent makers. Obviously, people lived in tents, so it would be like a home builder today. Uh, So they were tent makers. Paul was also a a skilled tent maker. And they began to work together as bivocational um, church planners. So they didn't expect money from anybody, they just were working on the side and they were working with the church as well. By the way, people today who start churches and who are bivocational are still called tent makers. If you ever hear that term, that's kind of where that comes from, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And since Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were all Jews, they went to the local synagogue. Every large city had a Jewish synagogue where Jews lived, where all the Jews went to worship. And they began to talk about Jesus there. And they had a little bit of success there, but for the most part, the people didn't want to hear it. Why? Because they felt like Christianity was replacing their Jewish religion. Instead of fulfilling it, which is what it was intended to do, they felt like it was replacing it. And so shortly after that, as the the conflict began to grow, they began to think about what do we do next and where do we go? It was about that time that Silas and Timothy came to join the team so they came to, to give him some help. Timothy was kind of the uh, mentoree or the protege of Paul. Silas was a partner that had done missionary work with him before. They came together and they had some money that had been given from a church in Macedonia and they gave it to Paul so he could work full-time with the church. So now they got a team of five people, one full-time guy and four part-time workers that are going to build this church together. And so they began to, in the synagogue, it says they preached in the synagogue, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So basically, Paul says, that's fine. If you don't want to know about Jesus, then instead of teaching to religious people, I'll go to unreligious people, the Gentiles, and I'll tell them about Jesus. And you know what God thought is that was my plan all along, because you are to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so that's kind of how it works out. God has a way of making things work out for his will to be done. And so they began meeting in a house next door. Can you imagine how the Jews felt? You know, They kick them out of the synagogue, so they go next door in a house, and they start teaching and preaching, and many of the people began to move from the synagogue over to the house. Many of the people believed and they were baptized. And then it says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent for I'm with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. Now this wasn't true in every town because every now and then Paul would go into a city and they would attack him. They would beat him, stone him, throw him out of the city and everything else. But God said in Corinth, you're not going to have that. You're not going to have the personal attack. Next thing we know though, Paul's enemies took him to court But the pro-council, Galileo, said, I don't have time for all these frivolous complaints. And so he threw them all out of court. And from that moment going forward, they kind of had freedom to go ahead and start the church. I think it's interesting to see how some of these churches began and how God was working and moving to open the doors so that they would be able uh, to to, uh, plant a church and preach the gospel. And the church there began to flourish. Paul actually stayed for about a year and a half in Corinth. In fact, many believed longer than he stayed anywhere else. So he invested a lot of time and energy. He had a great love for this church, the people there. And, uh, and two of the longest letters that he wrote were written to this church, First and Second Corinthians. If you look at them, they're pretty long compared to most of the other letters that Paul wrote. So these letters are as relevant and as timely today as they were back then. So when you read the Bible, understand that some of the letters, like First and Second Corinthians, Romans, Thessalonians, were written to certain people. However... They are just as relevant because they speak to the life that we live today, the issues that we face today. We're going to see how uh, practical that they really are. So basically, Paul was recognizing that the church was struggling with dealing with the culture that was around us. Because in this culture, it was a pagan culture, like I said before. The church was made up of people who were in the culture and coming out of the culture. And, And in the middle of that, the church stands And the church struggles to maintain its purity and its holiness because we have external pressure. Again, think about how this relates to us. It was the same in that day. There's really not a lot of things new. Over time, sin's always been around us. And we deal with the issues of the world just like in Bible times. So when Paul writes these letters, he writes them to confront the sin that's in the church, but also to encourage believers to stand as a light in darkness and to be spiritually maturing. He says, you're going to be a light, uh, be like a light on a hill or salt that's uh, in the food that's going to make a difference. We are to come and worship, and then we go out and we influence the world around us. Now, here's the thing, guys. We are surrounded by a culture that does not agree with us in many cases. I think in in central Kentucky, we probably are a more conservative part of the world and of our country, but, but if you go much beyond that, and even around us, we don't always people don't understand why we believe and what we, what we believe. Because the culture is not going to understand the truth of God's word. It just isn't going to do it. Even when reason and logic and even science support the truth, the world rejects it. And we don't understand that, do we? And I'll give you a perfect example of that that's in the news right now is the issue of abortion. You know, we are a very pro-life church because we believe that abortion begins at the moment of conception, which is what the Bible teaches us. And, and, but in fact, the world doesn't understand that. And this morning I was reading that a, a mayor of a major city said he believed there should be abortion available up until the moment of birth. Until the moment of birth. I mean, that is amazing to think about how in the world, when, when they can say that, that you should be free to abort your child... I mean, even the terminology is like, can you not see or understand or hear what you're saying? And so the culture doesn't understand the truth of God's word. They're blinded by darkness. And as I mentioned, the people of that day dealt with the same kind of issues as we do, including confusion about sexual sin, which Paul's going to address a little bit later on. But Paul overall says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that he talks about the wisdom of God That says, none of the rulers of this age understand. And sometimes when I listen to the news, I think that really is so true today that none of the rulers of this world understand the wisdom of God. And we're left scratching our heads, what seems to be obvious, the world doesn't understand. We're seeking God's wisdom in the midst of a culture that's living with the wisdom of this world. You know, last week, Dan talked about the danger of following men who may or may not be speaking the wisdom of God and who can mislead those who follow him. There's a danger. And the Bible is always talking about be careful of false prophets and false teachers and always check everything with the word of God, whatever you hear. And I would encourage you to do the same thing with me. I don't want to mislead you. Check the Bible check me out. Make sure that I'm, I'm telling the truth there. So the first letter to the Corinthians was written about two years after Paul had started the church. So he was there, started the church about a year and a half. A few months later, he begins to hear about the church at Corinth. The word's getting out that there are some pretty serious issues in the church. So Paul can't get back there personally, so he writes this letter to correct the issues. Aren't you glad that Paul didn't do everything in person? because if he did, there might not be a record of it. But we have these letters that have been preserved down through time that we can read and understand how we're to live and act today ourselves. So in chapter three, the first part, Paul says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are not, still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and Quarrelling among you? Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Keep in mind that Paul loves these people. He's not angry at them. He, he loves them, but he wants to try to encourage them and challenge them. He's trying to pull them along. You know, he's not trying to push them down, but to raise them up. And he's already stated here that most um, that non Christians don't understand the truth of God's word. That it's foolishness to them. And he says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. What Paul is saying is that you, as a child of God, you have insight and discernment that should be above and beyond the wisdom of the world. And Paul was expecting them to be further along in their faith. And they were acting like people of the world and not like those who are followers of Christ. He says to them, you are carnal and fleshly and worldly. Basically, you're a bunch of babies. You know, a lot of times in the Bible, we read this analogy about young Christians being like babies. We talk about being born again, a new creation in Christ. And we start with the milk of the word and the basic and elementary things of God and then progress to the meat or the more difficult things to digest. And then Paul gets real specific about this over in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. He says, By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. And be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rituals, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So here he mentions a few things. If you want to know what milk is, the milk of, of the word, here here they are: things like repentance and faith and baptism and the laying on of hands to set a person apart for ministry, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. He said, "Oh, those are all really basic things, really basic things that, that we can hopefully know about that are a part of our understanding when you become a Christian. Now, if you look at that list, you would see that these are things that we all believe. These are things that we understand. We take by faith. They are milk of the word. You know, milk is easily digestible. It's the basic form of nourishment that a baby starts with. Uh, we've been kind of dealing with this at home. We got a, uh, a sheep, a baby sheep. And I don't know if that was a good idea or not. That will be yet to be seen. Uh, but Max is his name, and uh, he is about two months old right now. When we got him, he was 10 days old. The plan was to let him be weaned, and then we would take him, but his mother couldn't feed him. And so we ended up being the, feed, the ones feeding him on a bottle so uh, at least twice a day, sometimes three times a day, we've been feeding this baby sheep and we're just about there. We're just about uh, at weaning stage. Um, but I don't want to feed that sheep the rest of his life. I'm telling you, uh, it's too much work. He's got to learn how to eat some hay and some pellets and he's got to take care of himself at some point. And you know what? It's, it's great to have a baby, but you don't want to feed a baby a bottle all of its life. And there's something really wrong with the baby if it's drinking milk you know, as it gets older. You know, it's kind of cute when they're little, right? But when they get bigger, it's not cute anymore. And Paul says in the, the spiritual life, there got to be a place where you move on from simple things. You know, back in our day, and I know it's changing a little bit seemingly, uh, but we understood that a baby drank milk and then they moved to other foods like cereals and fruit and vegetables. And finally, the last thing you added was meat because it's the most difficult thing to digest of foods that we have. Meat is the things you have to chew on, the things you have to think about, and you have to process and swallow and then digest the nutrients from. So we have a list of milk in the Bible, but I don't think that I know of a a written out list of spiritual meats. So what would be some spiritual meats? Let me tell you some things that I think would be on that list. I think it might be the hard work of spiritual disciplines, disciplining ourselves. I think that's meat. Serving is meat. Pure uh, Personal purity, daily life, character, integrity. I think that long-term, that's meat. Sacrifice is meat. Daily time with God. I think that's something that, that is hard for everybody I know. That That is a meat issue. I, I think that tithing is a meat issue, that you got to wrestle with that and determine, am I willing to trust God and and commit to God in that way. Sharing our faith is meat, I believe. That's a hard thing to do. It's really challenging to be able to talk to somebody about what we believe. Making disciples is maybe eat meat. Those are some things, and there may be more, but those just came to my mind that are going beyond the elementary truths of just believing something to actually becoming a doer, a disciple who in turn makes disciple. And that's what Paul's urging them on. He said, you've got to move beyond just... Caring for yourself and start thinking about growing and, and reaching other people. And they expected them to be at meat level, but they were still at milk level. They were still drinking milk. They were Christians, not like he was saying you're not believers, but you're stubborn and you're stunted and you're stuck. So let me just say this, that if you are a Christian, you need to be growing. You need to be moving. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, That's important. We need to be constantly moving, never reaching a point where we're satisfied or we're content because if you're not moving forward or you're not growing, you are regressing. You're not moving forward, you're going backwards. A lot of people want Jesus to be their savior, but they're not ready for him to be their Lord. And being your Lord means that you surrender everything to him and you live for him. He has to be both. He died to forgive your sins, to change you, And to be the Lord of your life. And that's why the Bible says that we're to be transformed, that the old things are passing away, all things have become new, that we are a new creation in Christ. And if that isn't happening in your life, then your conversion may not be genuine. And I I don't say that lightly, but you can't meet Jesus and not change. You can't truly know Jesus and not change your life. It just doesn't work like that. A lot of people, I think, get stunned spiritually early on in their, in their life with Christ, and that determines, are they going to grow, are they going to proceed, or are they just going to get stuck there? And the change has to be ongoing. The Bible calls it sanctification. Now, I, if you know me, you know me, I, I don't use those big words very often, but that's a Bible word. The word sanctify means to be made holy, that we are in the process of being changed, of being made more and more like Jesus Christ. We're maturing. And there's something wrong if we don't mature, if we're not ongoing. Just because, or just like there would be something wrong if your teenager was still drinking milk only, no meats or anything else, wearing a diaper, that would be even worse, right? It's cute when they're little, but it's not normal. It just isn't normal when they're older. Now that's the things that Paul was saying to the church back there in Corinth 2,000 years ago. Now we're 2,000 years on this side, removed from this church back there, but the problems are still the same. We still live in a pagan culture when you think about it, that we scratch our heads going, this doesn't, it doesn't make sense because of reason, of logic, of sense or anything, of science or anything else. And yet the world thinks this way. But we also live in a time where there's a lot of spiritually immature people in the church. And all of us, including myself, and this is the most convicting to me, all of us need to be growing in our journey because it's easy for anyone and everyone to get stuck at some point in our life. And we all need to make sure that we are constantly moving and growing. If we're not, then we need to ask ourselves why. Why am I not doing that? So let me throw out some questions that maybe can help you evaluate your spiritual life. The first one is this. Have you experienced god maturing in your life as a christian have you experienced that when you think back over your life whether you've been a christian for a short time or a long time has there been some maturing in your life have your thoughts changed have the way that you think about life maybe about moral issues the way you think about uh you know where where your thoughts go when you let your mind wander have those thoughts changed has your language changed has anything changed about just the language that you speak? Maybe the way you speak about people, criticism, complaining. Boy, this is convicting for me. I know about that. I know that. Uh, how about your actions? Have have your actions changed? the way that you respond to other people or the way that you think about God? Have your desires changed? The things that you long for, the things that you're living for as a a Christian, have those things changed over time? Where are the victories in your life? Let's not just talk about the failures. Where are the victories in your life? Can you think about things that you don't do that you used to do or things you don't say that you used to say in the past? How are you different now than you were before? It's important to recognize that there needs to be a marked transition in your life. The Bible says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we need to recognize there are some things I'm leaving behind, some things I'm moving toward. Second question, what are some areas of your life where you are spiritually immature? And these are some things that maybe nobody else knows about because you hide them there in your mind might be your actions or your thoughts uh, or or your words, but it might be your thoughts that nobody else knows but you. Maybe maybe it's what you think about and where your mind goes when you let it. Maybe it's your quiet time. Maybe your quiet time just doesn't exist or it's very inconsistent. Maybe your struggle is like the church in Corinth that we're going to see. Maybe it's being tempted away. Maybe it's about sex. Maybe it's about money or some addictive substance like drugs or alcohol. Maybe your weakness is your mouth or your temper or some other struggle that you have. You know, one of the struggles that we have, I think, is, is that we believe, wow, I'm doing so good right in this area. And then we kind of give our pass, give ourselves a pass on some other area that we're not doing well. We're like, well, you know, I'm doing good here, but nobody's perfect. So I, I think I'm doing better, a lot better than so-and-so. That's, that's always our fallback, isn't it? Don't do that. Let's try to be honest with ourselves and honest with God and say, what areas of my life am I spiritually immature? And the third question is this, at what point do you expect to become mature? At what point do you expect it? all of us or a lot of people have this idea, someday, sometime, I'm going to do this. Someday, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to take a step. i want to do something. I'm going to get around to it someday. It doesn't always happen. Is there a time? Maybe we think if we, old, we get older, we're going to be more mature spiritually. Isn't always true. Isn't always true. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It depends on whether or not you have learned from your life and whether you are willing to move and change in your spiritual journey. There are a lot of Christians who do not have any urgency to mature in Christ. There's no desire. There's no sense of urgency to become more effective in serving and leading other people and becoming more like Jesus. And remember, if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. You know, Paul goes on to share real quick here one specific area of immaturity, and that is of quarreling and jealousy. Now, if you've got more than one child, you know exactly what I'm talking about here, right? Uh, One child, they don't quarrel. There's nobody to quarrel with, but they've got two. It's all about it, right? It's a sign of immaturity. And there was a problem in the church there at Corinth. Paul says, for when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, um, are you not mere human beings? What, well, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's made, been making it grow. For neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Apollos was a gifted speaker of that day. Apollos had been taken under the wing of Aquila and Priscilla, who were partners of Paul. And he had been taught, the Bible says he was eloquent, mighty in the scriptures, fervent in the Lord. Instructed in the way of the Lord. So Apollos was a great young preacher. And he traveled around, and he passed through Corinth, and people began to really have a, a kind of latch onto him, become fans of Apollos, and they were kind of pitting him against Paul. And you know, people have a tendency to do that today. You know, they have their favorite theologian or professor or worship leader or whoever it might be, author, and they try to make it a competition. Never a good thing to do. Never ever pit people against people or ministries against other ministries here. Paul says, hey, we're both servants. We're just all servants. I planted, Apollos watered. God's the one that makes it grow. The church is no place to ever have competition. Never pit people against people there. We're all servants. We're all just tools in the hand of Jesus to be used for his glory. You know, when I hear Paul saying that Paul, who I believe was probably the greatest missionary ever, probably covered more land, more started more churches, um, preached to more people, wrote books that more people have ever read. He was a great missionary. When Paul says we are all just servants and we're all just humble, we don't seek any glory. I think that means a lot, and to me, that really speaks loudly in the light of what we see today, the rock rockstar megachurch preachers and evangelists and worship leaders and stuff. It reminds us the attitude that we're called to be is like Paul, but more important, like Jesus, who came to be a servant for us all. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And guys, that's what we're called to do, to live our lives out in the pattern of Jesus, and Paul would say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Let me ask you this. As a parent, as a believer, could you say to your children or anybody else, hey, I'm setting the example, be an imitator of me because I'm imitating Christ. That's a big statement. And that would be one I would, I would have a hard time to say, but that's our goal. That is where God is calling us to be and pulling us toward himself and toward maturity. So the challenge to us is to commit to servanthood and to seeking maturity. Let me remind you of those questions one more time. As you only can evaluate yourself, how have you experienced God maturing in your life as a Christian? What are the areas of your life that are currently spiritually immature that you need to work on? And then at what point do you expect to become mature? I think those could be held up. We should look at those every day and be honest and recognize that we have all have a lot of room to grow. And that's my challenge to you. We're going to look through this book of 1 Corinthians this summer. Uh, It's a great book. It's going to be exciting to look at. We're going to look at some things that that we normally don't talk about, I think, and be challenged, uh, and some really honest stuff, and some really deep stuff, to be honest with you. Uh, But that's what we need. And so I want to challenge you to stick with us throughout this summer. We're going to go to a time of response just now. And you know, I was thinking earlier as I was there and we were in worship, I was thinking about how God has always called people to worship Him, even down through time when they didn't have church services, they they did have the synagogues, and they had the temple where people came to worship and see God and meet God there. And today, our worship services are those places. We come out of the world, we come out of our homes together, and we come together to worship and fellowship with each other and to seek understanding and the wisdom of God that comes from His Word and the, the community that, that we experience. But it's also a place that we come to seek God. And I, I pray that you're seeking Him today. And we want to make this a time of seeking and, and reaching out to God uh, in this moment, this, this final song of our service. So um, as we often do, I, I would just call you to prayer. If you have someone uh, a need that you want someone to pray uh, with you about, we have uh, those of us intercessors will step up. Tony and I will be up front. Zach will be available just to pray with you. We'd love to do that. If you want to come up and just spend some time seeking God, thanking God, um, reaching out to God, we want to invite this. This is a house of prayer. This is a time of worship. So we invite you to come. Right now, would you stand with me as we just go to God in a prayer that'll move us into our our response time. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. Uh, I want to look, I want to see him in heaven. Uh, I want to see him and just hear the stories that maybe are behind the stories. And Father, to just uh, the wisdom of of old. And God, we seek, uh, we don't worship Paul, we worship you, but God, we thank you for those who have gone on before, those who have had the heart and the love for communities to start churches. Father, we thank you for our church that is a light to our community. And Lord, I pray that all of us will take ownership of that. That God, we think of our generation of continuing to build the church, maturing spiritually, personally, so that we can do that, and then moving the church forward into the next generation and beyond. God, so thank you so much for your love. Thank you for Jesus who gives us life. And Father, I pray that if there's even one here this morning who doesn't know who Jesus is, has not given their life to him, committed their life, begun this walk of faith, this life of change, that God, they would have the courage just to step out, acknowledge that, to seek you. But Lord, just now we all seek you in prayer. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.